welcome to another episode of Let's Discuss It podcast. I'm actually very excited to announce that I've revived this podcast. If you look on any other uh, podcast sharing apps, you'll notice that my old podcast is still up with over 25 episodes. So I took a couple of years off um, because when you do it for so long, you tend to get a little bit burnt out. And uh, I took a couple of years off and I've been able to kind of regenerate and kind of relax and spend more time with my family and everything. Because uh, anybody who does podcasts will tell you that it's a lot of prep work. You know, you have to create and keep the narrative of being interesting. And I think that I was able to fulfill that with my other podcast. But, you know, taking a couple of years off, I'm very, very excited and very, very motivated to keep doing it and giving great content and great interviews. Um, So today I actually am I'm bringing a returning guest back to the podcast. She's one of my top three favorite interviews from my last episodes. I will say that this won't disappoint. Um, She's a returning guest. Her name is Miss Anna Cook. How are you doing, Miss Anna? I'm doing good. I know a couple of years ago when we were talking about mental health, we were in the midst of where mental health was so big as a topic at that point. So I know you have a clinic. Do you want to introduce your clinic? Yeah, sure. I think, um, well, my clinic is I Mind Mental Health and Wellness. Um, We are at 65 Murray Guard Drive here in Jackson. And I think maybe whenever we did the podcast the first time, that was whenever I was in my old building. You were. Yeah. Like That's when that. you first, I think when you first started. Yeah. yeah. I've come, I've grown a lot since then. So back then I think I was pretty much just me. Um, and now we have myself plus three other psychiatric nurse practitioners and um, two therapists. So what is the actual, I know when you first started out, it was very small because when you first came and talked to me about it and I, like I said, you just started and everything. So what was the, like, was it, was your goal exceeded at where you're at now from where you were then? Honestly, I don't, yes, definitely. I don't even know that I had really a goal in mind of like that I wanted to grow to like a certain point. Um, It just kind of happened, honestly, and the growth was really, really fast. Um, I think just kind of supporting the idea that we really just are lacking mental health services. Um, Yes, like, I don't know, from year one, we pretty much have doubled every year. Um, I think six months in, we hired our first therapist. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just basically kind of more of a trying to keep up with the demand. Because I feel like just in general that, you know, as far as our mental health services here um, locally, we have some community mental health clinics. um, But basically, sometimes people don't always necessarily feel comfortable, like going to a community health clinic where you are going to be have more exposure to people that are chronically mentally ill. Mm -hmm. um, And that can make people feel uncomfortable. Um, So. They might be less likely to seek treatment. Um, And so I think having a smaller private practice, um, not that we don't treat, you know, all the mental health issues because we do. But I think just having kind of a different setting that people maybe felt more comfortable about coming in. And so that's where some of the growth came from. Well, I feel like if I was going to go and try to find out questions or answers to my questions on certain topics, I mean, sometimes you, there's a there's a really big stigma about mental health, right? When it comes to, you know, I, I don't want to completely just make it broad, but I'm going to say general. Like if I was thinking that I was bipolar, if I, if I thought I had symptoms and I went to almost like, I don't want to say a public, 
you know, facility for that kind of stuff, I'll be more likely to be embarrassed to be seen how I would be, how I would look in the whole situation. But if I went to a private practice, it almost feels like a safe space. Do you feel like your your clinic is a safe space for a lot of people? Oh, for sure. Um, definitely. You know, I think that there's still a stigma related to having mental illness, mental health issues in general. I think that um, a lot of times men specifically feel like that is correlated with like weakness, you know, kind of from like a a cultural standpoint being told that, you know, do you just need to toughen up? Mm -hmm. You just need to get through it, push through it. And so there's still um, a lot of that mentality. And so I think that, you know, people just have a lot of shame about coming in and embarrassment when in actuality, to be completely honest, most of us suffer at some point in time in our lives with some form of depression, anxiety. I mean, it just, it's really, really common. And I do think that once people come in, like, I feel like they're kind of their idea of what, what it's going to be like, it, it usually is different than kind of what they had envisioned. Um, we try to have our office set up to be more of like a kind of homey, you know, like just soothing, not really office-like, right. um, intentionally, so right. that people feel comfortable and they don't feel, they feel like they can relax. Um, and most of the time, people will tell me that, you know, like, this is nothing like I thought it was going to be. Like, right. it's a lot easier, you know, to talk about these things than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and, and it's kind of really scary when you really think about it. When you think you're going to go see a mental health, like when you're going to go to a mental health clinic, it is a little intimidating because you don't know what you're going to walk into. You don't know if they're for real, if they're really going to take care of you in a way that you're looking for. You really just kind of, you're, you're trusting into something that's unknown, and that's going to be fearful for anybody, you know. And you sit here and you mention about men and mental illness and the weakness. Why is it that you think that men are so... I don't want to say that they downplay a lot of things that they go through, but like you said, the whole toughen up aspect, it wasn't okay for a man to go to the doctor, you know, all the time if he was sick. Like now it's, it's really, I'm, I'm so glad that sometimes there is some people that is normalizing, like it's okay to be sick. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be in your feelings. It's okay to have feelings, but you know, from the older generation, especially from my dad's generation, there wasn't a lot of, oh, well, you know, if you're upset, you know, you kind of need to just deal with it and get over it and move on. Sometimes it's not that easy. Some people are not chemically balanced to handle stuff like that, you know? Why do you think men don't really take it that seriously? Well, I do think definitely whenever we're talking about, like, generationally. Yeah. I mean, you have to think back from, you know, going back to my grandparents, great-grandparents who lived through things like the depression. Mm. I mean, mental health was just not real a top priority for right. them. You know, basically it was the basic needs being met. And then I just think, you know, that men have, culturally they have been taught, like, don't cry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a sign of weakness. Um, I think it is a lot better now. I mean, I think with, you know, the younger generations that it that it is a lot better and that, um, people being more in tune with their emotions and that kind of thing is a lot better. But I think my age, um, I'm in my 40s, I think that there is still like a lot of the stigma and the kind of this mindset that 
you know, that you're weak. Mm-hmm. And I really don't understand why, because basically if you, you know, like don't typically have any issue, you know, being treated for other, you know, high blood pressure, high mm-hmm. cholesterol, like it, it's a biological issue. Yeah. So. And do you feel like they feel like they get emasculated? And and so they're always kind of like, like not, not will say that they were embarrassed, but like, they're, they're very prideful. Men are very prideful. And women are prideful, too. I'm not going to take that away. But for men, it's like, if I would have, uh, 10 years ago, if my dad would have said, hey, I think I'm going to go see a therapist. The, the ridicule, even as a joke around family, I mean, that they, they joke about it. They laugh. About, oh, yeah, I'm sure you're going to go see a therapist. You know, and they get mm-hmm. they downplay like, oh, come on, man. Just like, get over it. It's not that big of a deal. You don't need to waste your money on these people. I can only imagine how much a mental health therapist or any kind of any kind of clinic that would be helpful for anyone's mentality and their peace, how much it actually probably pulled them out of really dark spots because there's just some things that just sometimes a pep talk from a family member and a friend just isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, do you, have you, I'm not saying, you know, you know, you can't really speak on things because of, of your profession, but what is the most common cases of why men suffer through depression? I mean, honestly, I do feel like it's just that they feel like that I can just push through this. You know, eventually, like, it's going to get better. Um, And maybe a a lot of fear Mm -hmm. that if, you know, if I do go in, then basically, like, I'm admitting that there is something wrong that I can't get better on my own. Yeah. You know, if I go in and they put me on medicine or they give me a certain diagnosis then I'm labeled mm-hmm. um so there's like that fear that comes along with if I actually do follow through with that yeah it's weird because my grandparents were a prime example of people who didn't want to go to the doctor because they didn't want to know what was wrong with them and it's kind of it's kind of a mentality of oh if I don't know it won't hurt me but some people don't really understand like and, and and I think I've learned it since the last time that me and you talked. You know, I went through a, a really hard breakup um, shortly after, you know, you know, towards the end of my podcast or whatever. And when I can tell you that when you get so low in a place, it is so hard to pull yourself out of it, especially when you don't think that anybody's there to help you. You know, you can and, – and, and I mind you, some of this stuff you can – try to work on especially like when you're depressed you don't want to do anything you're not motivated you don't feel like getting up and eating you lose the i think depression weight loss is real in a sense mm-hmm. because i've seen people who be completely you know it'd be right after a breakup and they just like, drop the weight immediately and when you're digging yourself into a, a really big hole and you don't reach out and you don't want to you know have anyone extend their hand to you you get so deep that you can't even climb yourself out of those dark places and then you start wondering you know why am I here and everything when you have those situations and you think that it can be a compromising mind state what is your best approach about helping someone going through depression well I think first of all just recognizing that I mean the deeper that people get into a depressed state that it it does become like they become very isolated and they feel very hopeless yeah um And so, you know, the more severe that that gets, I mean, that's whenever people get to a place of becoming suicidal um, because they feel like they aren't, like there's no way out. Like, I I can't live like this and it's not going to get better. Um, And I really think that that isolation 
and that lack of being able to ask for help. Yeah. When in reality, like when you do, you know, when you are able, hopefully, to ask for help, that you really come to the realization that you are not alone. Yeah. Trust me. There are millions of people suffering. It, it feels like you're alone. It's because, number one, it's hard to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. it's hard to just go to, to your family member or your friend and talk about these things. Yeah. Um. So I would definitely say, like, in, in tr- like being in a role of trying to help somebody that's dealing with depression, I mean, just normalizing it, validating it is huge. Mm-hmm. Um trying to, you know, be positive to them, trying to be supportive. And if you are, you know, kind of observing that it is persistently either getting worse or definitely not getting better, then I think really trying to talk to them about, you know, considering going and seeing a professional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I do feel like being supportive of that and normalizing, validating the way that people are feeling they're going to be more likely to be okay to ask for help. Well, and I want to ask you this because I'm trying to segue into this conversation here. And I've always wondered this, and I say this because I want to kind of give myself an example, as an example. Do you believe that any type, whether it's minimized or maximized, any kind of trauma in your childhood could affect you as an adult, even if you recognize what the issue is. And I say that because when I was younger, we didn't have a lot. My family didn't. Now, my my dad worked, but my mom had four kids by the time, you know, she was 20, I think. And I I could be wrong. It could be 20 or 21. But my mom had four kids by then. And we were living here in Tennessee. We didn't have a lot. My dad made eight bucks an hour, nine bucks an hour working at 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 a dealership that he was at for a very long time. Um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom because it, putting him in daycare would cost way more money than what she would make an hour mm-hmm. at the time. And we're thinking like the 90s here. When I was in kindergarten, like I said, didn't have much, you know, had what we had, couldn't help it, whatever. But sometimes kids are the most honest but yet more cruel unknowingly because they feel like if they're just a little bit better than that other person that they're, they they feel like they're entitled to you know to make fun of them to bully them and when i was in kindergarten i got so constantly bullied that even the bully didn't set out for recess i had to set out and i thought that was kind of weird anyway but anyways whatever i was a kid and it didn't matter i was 5 or 6 and that went on till i was in second grade and then no matter how much we, you know, you know, says up to teachers, you know, blah, 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 went through all the meetings, did everything, whatever. But as an adult, it's almost made me so antisocial that I don't even want to be around people. Like, I mean, my my close friends will tell you, people that you know will tell you, like, I don't want to be around anybody unless it's my family, my kids, very, very, very close friends that I've been friends with for a long time. But it it, it triggers me to, like, be around people like that. And is there any connection from that trauma from when I was a kid to now, do you think? Or am I just overthinking it? no. There's trauma. We could have, like, we could spend a year on trauma. (laughs) And actually, just this past past year, I have, like, really been diving deeply into childhood trauma. um, More so than, I mean, I always have had a general understanding of trauma and its effect, but... Like, there's so much to it. So, absolutely. I think, actually, that tr- childhood trauma 
has the most hugest impact on us as adults. Mm. And I think that there's, um, like, there's a lot of misconceptions about trauma and, like, what trauma is, basically. Mm. Like, some people think that trauma is just somebody that's had a really bad experience. Um, you know, like some, like a child that was sexually abused or, yeah. or physically abused. Yeah. And absolutely that is trauma, but trauma is so much broader than that. You think it, it's more generalized on the oh, trauma? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, first of all, trauma is not just what happened to you. It's also what didn't happen for you. Mm-hmm. Like kids that, you know, grow up with parents that are emotionally neglectful, um, maybe not intentionally, but if your mom was severely depressed and she was in the bed half the time, you didn't get nurturing. And so that's trauma, that's trauma. And so that you internalize that and you, it causes a lots of, you know, insecurities and anxieties mm-hmm. and a lot of like conflict. Right. Um, and so absolutely something that happened to you like that, you internalize that. And so it can create these insecurities and anxieties as an adult. And sometimes people don't even realize, like, they're just, they know that they have these feelings of being anxious, Mm -hmm. but they don't really know, like, where it comes from. Yeah, and and then you're scared to tell people where the anxiety comes from because, like, how do you answer a question you don't even know? Exactly. And so you're like... I just know I don't want to be here. That's what I, that's what I tell myself. And my close friends, will, my very close friends will tell you, I would, I would have some friends that would say, Hey, we're going to be here. Uh, you should come out for a little bit. And I'm such a homebody that I'm like, okay, well, all right, I'll go, but I'm only going to be there for 10 minutes and I'm not playing at all. I'm there for 10 minutes. and I'm out. I just, I don't know why. I just don't feel like I want to be around people, especially now I'm 35 now. So for me to feel this way, but I'm also in, in the state of mind, like I'm in, I'm at that point in my life that I, sh- if I don't want certain friends in my life or people in my life, I don't need them here. It, you know, if they're not on my day to day, I don't need them here. But I know that if I don't want to go anywhere, I'm not going to go. But I just knew that it started out as I get really anxious. I'll get this pit feeling in my stomach. I would get, I will, I will start to perspirate. Like I was just, it would just be real clammy. I didn't want to be there. But instead of just saying, hey, like, I think I'm getting anxiety, they'll just be like, oh, man, you're just being weird about it. And so now I'm being now I'm being dismissed. And so now I feel like, OK, I just told you this. I, I, I told you a couple of seconds of being vulnerable and now you're making a joke out of it. And so now it makes me never want to tell you that again. Well, I mean, I think. Like people will tell me, you know, I just, you know, I have all this anxiety or you know, I just started having these panic attacks and they just come out of nowhere. First of all, it it doesn't, panic attacks don't come out of nowhere. Right. Like there's something, it could be subconsciously, but there is something that triggers it. It might be a smell. It might be a sound. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. You just, it's so like, it's so deep that you don't even realize what it is, but it is something. So, I mean... Basically, the other thing about trauma is it's very, um, it's very subjective. I mean, so you and I could have experienced the same thing, but you might have been very traumatized by it, and it might continue to cause issues and impairment for you, and it may not have for me. So that's the other thing about trauma is, I mean, it, it isn't like a one-size-fits-all. I mean, it's, 
something it, it could be a lot different for one person versus another person. Yeah. And I think part of it, I mean, it's just part of it is like genetic. Yeah. Like resilience type things. Part of it is um, environmental things. Like there's just so many factors. But to me, trauma is one of the most fascinating things. Um, basically what they have studied and found out is that like the most significant trauma can does occur or the type of trauma that can have the most profound effect in the poorest outcomes are between the time that the baby is in utero to two years old. Mm-hmm. So during that time, cause I mean, I'm thinking, how does a, how is a, how does a baby in utero like experience trauma, but like stress, on the mom, mm-hmm. alcohol use, substance use, um, like that's passed on. And if you think about the development of a baby, mm-hmm. your brain develops the most that it's ever going to develop from the time the baby's in the womb to two years old. Mm-hmm. So it literally is like a sponge. Literally. Yes. Yeah, so can you imagine like, so basically you could have experienced like... I mean, that's when you're forming your ideas about the world. Mm-hmm. Like you are 100 dependent on 100 percent dependent on someone else. Right. You can't do anything on your own. So basically, you're forming what the world is, like mm-hmm. your ideas of things. So when I cry, you know, how long does it take for somebody to come get me? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm hungry, when I'm wet. So all of that just really forms a lot. And Mm -hmm. I mean, so kids that have like difficult, dysfunctional families, you know, abuse, neglect, that kind of thing, they're going to actually have potential worse outcomes than another child that maybe experienced more extended trauma, but from like the ages of like seven to 12. Right. So it's it's just... Do you think the whole, because I know when you say from the baby, from when they're uh, a baby to when they're two-year-old and they experience things, let's just hypothetically say that you have a two-year-old, uh, you know, a baby from, and they're about to be two, and they're in a house that is constantly, when you have two parents, you constantly argue, and, you know, there's always crying, there's always yelling, there's a, it's like the hostility and, and, and all that, like just the amount of things that they would hear on a daily basis, that's probably normal to them at that time, at, by that point. Do you think that they're subjectable to be a lot different when they get older than to maybe a seven-year-old to 10-year-old who listens to the same thing? Do you think the outcome is the same on that end? I mean, I think some of it is just dependent upon, you know, like different things with the kid. I mean, I, I think if you have siblings that grow up in the same house that are exposed to the same types of things they may not turn out exactly the same Mm -hmm. um but i definitely feel like things like domestic violence create a lot of conflict in kids right um because kids like we're designed to love our parents Mm -hmm. right like it does like that's as humans we are like we love our parents and it doesn't even, I mean, even abusive parents, mm-hmm. like their kids love them yeah. because that's just how we, I mean, that's just how we're designed. Yeah, It's like the wiring in our head is like, yes. this person hurts me, but they love me in a way, you know? And so it, that alone, like I love them, but also I'm afraid of them. Yeah. It basically 
like instills this conflict yeah. that you carry on with you as an adult. So like in your adult relationships, like I want to be loved and I want to have these meaningful relationships so badly and intensely, but also internally, maybe deep down, I'm so afraid of that yeah. because that fear is there. Mm-hmm. So it's like people have a lot of difficulties in relationships yeah. because they're afraid and, and you may sabotage your relationships without even knowing it. Do you believe in self-sabotaging relationships when it comes to, let's just say, a kid saw their mom or let's either way, um, either way, vice versa, mom or dad or whatever, get constantly like there's just domestic violence all the time. And when they grow up to have their own relationship, do you think that factors in that that's so normal to them that it's okay to have that? Or do you think they ever tend to walk away from it? So... No, I mean, I don't necessarily think that that kids that grow up like that are going to necessarily go on to um, to have those same types of relationships or kind of act out the same way. I mean, I do believe that we believe, act and behave based on our experiences as a kid, even if we don't want to, even if we say, I am not going to be anything like my mom. I don't want to be anything like her. There's still going to be things that you're going to, and you might like not even consciously, like it might be a subconscious thing that you like basically reform these relationships. You end up with people that are exactly like that parent. That you did not want to be like. That like, you want, yeah, that you, you wanted nothing exactly, to be with. Exactly. How do you end up in a relationship with somebody that's abusive mm-hmm. when, like, you always said, I'll never, you know, I'm never going to let anybody treat me like that. And it's and it's almost like you just kind of recreate these. You recreate your trauma mm-hmm. because humans, I can attest to this as a clinician, humans, like, you feel safe with what you know. Mm-hmm. Like the complacency of what you were raised yes, in. Yes, exactly. Even if it's bad. Yeah. People will stay in an abusive relationship because they're too afraid of change and they're too afraid of the unknown. Yeah. So I'll just stay. So they go what's familiar with them and, okay, well, I've seen this and I see that it could be either this way or this way, but at least I'm prepared for it so I can stay in those type of relationships. Exactly. Do you feel like... So you, there's, we're growing up in the age now, um, myself included, like I'm not with my kids' moms, right? Do you think an absent parent, even though they're, you know, you do have, you know, weekends, stuff like that, right? Do you think that makes a whole lot of difference as far as a non, um, a non, a non-active parent and one that's just completely just kind of here and there? Do you think that makes a difference in a child's life? Oh, for sure. Okay. I think for sure. I mean, obviously, it's always going to be best to have the support of both parents. Right. I mean, I can say, like, from my own personal experience, that my parents were never married. Right. Um, that my dad, I mean, we could have a whole <laughs> a few episodes about him. Yeah. But he, um, he had severe PTSD from the loss of a child, mm. from being in Vietnam, um, and he just, he, substance abuse issues, and he was notorious about, like, not showing up, um, but I had the strongest bond with him, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that doesn't, 
like I had the best relate. I had really a stronger bond with him or relate. I felt like I could talk to him more and I was more like him than my mom. Right. And my mom raised me. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean, I don't know why it was that way. Right. But I wouldn't necessarily say just because parents aren't together that you're going to have lesser of a relationship with the parent that the kid doesn't live with. Do you think you were so close to your dad because that was a way of y'all getting close? Even though your mom was raising you, that was a way for you to still get close with your dad. That's why y'all became that way. It could be. I mean, for sure. But like looking back, I feel like we were so much alike, Mm -hmm. like in the like just. I didn't know at the time until I went through the psych program, but, you know, just like with he had he was very ADHD, like he had a very uh, neurodivergent brain. Yeah. And so as I got older, I realized so do I. And so maybe we connected somehow in how we saw the world. But I just he was somebody that I always felt like I could talk to easily. And there would be no judgment. No. Speaking about when you talk about, when I hear you talk about your parents and then I hear about just now, just how you just kind of just explained it and you kind of gave me a rough, a little rough survey on, I mean, not on survey, uh, a rough summary on how you were able to connect with your parents on different levels. What got you into what you're doing now? Is it because of what you went through in your childhood or is it because it was something that you were, let's just say you want to be a nurse and, but just being a nurse wasn't enough. Like you kind of drew your interest into this because of maybe something you went through. So, I mean, honestly, like, just looking back on my very dysfunctional childhood and upbringing, like, I can see how that kind of shaped me, but I really went to nursing school because it was a good career. I mean, I was a single mom with two kids, and I knew that I didn't want to live in poverty forever. Like I the same I was raised in poverty mm-hmm. and I didn't want to raise my kids the same way. Right. Um, so that's really what drew me to go to nursing school. And then to be honest with you, in the in RN school when I did my rotation, um, we had to go to like Western State Hospital, but not the one here. It was like in Kentucky somewhere. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought in a million years back then that I would have ended up doing psych. So I ended up graduating and working like in ICU. Mm -hmm. um, Which is a norm, you know, for a nurse. Yes. Um, And then I worked, I got my first master's degree and worked in cardiology for years for a cardiology group rounded at the hospital. So I actually ended up kind of leaving this cardiology group and, I had like a non-compete, which meant that I couldn't yeah. really work in cardiology anywhere for a while, mm-hmm. which is kind of bullshit, but whatever. It, it really is. That's really not fair, <laughs> if no. you really think about it. And actually, in the state of Tennessee, like, it won't uphold in, in accord, but it still scares people. I mean, it scared me. Yeah, when enough you, to just say, thinking about it, when you say, oh, I signed a non-compete, just those words yes, together will exactly. intimidate anybody. And I mean, he he is a pretty like well-known cardiologist. And I mean, I just, I was afraid. Right. So I get this job like doing psych in long-term care, care facilities like nursing homes because you didn't have to have a certification. Okay. Um. So I did that for a while. Really, it kind of just fell in my lap. Um. And I ended up really, really liking it. Yeah. And so I thought, 
if I'm going to keep doing this, I probably really need to like get the certification, right? Even though it's not required. Um, I mean, there's a lot more knowledge in the specialty. So I ended up doing going back and I went to Vanderbilt and did like a postmasters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in like 2014, I think. And so I've worked all kind of, I mean, I've worked inpatient, outpatient, geriatrics, and, uh, you know, and then opened my own practice. But now, like, having said all that, I do feel like probably, like, I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Like, I feel like definitely all the my own life experiences have helped kind of develop this path of where I am now I just didn't realize it I mean I didn't realize it at the time yeah Um, that you were like laying bricks to your future at this point exactly and but I definitely think that my ability to like connect with people is because of those life experiences that I've had and I mean I'm I'm very open like I'm I feel like I try to be very approachable Mm -hmm. like I talk to my patients just like we're talking like and I'm I have, like, no shame in, like, sharing my own personal stories because I feel like it helps people feel like they're not so alone. Do you feel like there were some situations in your life, even your own personal experiences, and and the reason why it makes you so approachable is because when you were in those situations that you wish you were approached the way that you're approaching them, maybe? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have, you know, had both two parents that had substance abuse problems, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mom was in rehab multiple times. I mean, we were poor, like lived in the projects poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I ended up, you know, having a baby when I was 16, dropping out of high school, being in a pretty toxic relationship and having two kids by the time I was 19 and living in poverty. Mm. Um, and so like, that's a lot. That's a lot. So, and not a lot of people climb out of those situations. Exactly. But I will say, you know, some people end up kind of, you know, you substance use disorders and things like that. I think that what I am is a workaholic, basically. Like I I figured out that, you know, that, hey, here's something I'm good at. Like Mm -hmm. I'm good at school. Like I'm good at, you know, and eventually like I'm a good clinician and that kind of thing. But you have to be careful with that because... Even though, like, I have all these certifications and, you know, degrees and things, I still, I have a lot of imposter syndrome, which I don't know if you know what that is, but basically imposter syndrome is where you feel like you're a fraud. Hmm. Like, no matter how much of, like, other people think that you're, like, this expert and, you know, get all these awards, and you feel like you're not deserving. And you feel like you're, like, you're, like, I feel like for me, I'm constantly trying to make something like what can I do better let me open a clinic let me do this let me do that and yeah. it's because you're seeking this external validation from the world yeah because you didn't get that as a kid and so, it's crazy because you do have awards and you do have something to be proud of there's not a lot of people who's been in your situation that could say that they're in the same spot you are and why don't why do you downplay what you have I, and what you've accomplished I, honestly I feel like it's all related to my childhood do you, like I feel like where I did you think you didn't get the validation from which parent the most whose acceptance do you think that you wanted the most my dad's okay and, I, and, I mean, and even though you were close you still felt like that acceptance wasn't there no matter what you did 
No, no, he was like once I. Now he was very disappointed because mm-hmm. I feel like he felt like, like my mom was uh, like a t- had a teenage pregnancy. My sister, like mm-hmm. I felt like he was like, okay, you know, you're just going to continue the cycle. Oh, okay, so it's like repeating history. Yes. So when I like graduated college, I mean, he was extremely proud. Yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away before my clinic came along, but. Um, Definitely getting that validation from him, like, meant the world to me. More yeah. than anybody else. But I don't think it. I don't think that has anything to do with why I am like I am. I think it all is related to my childhood. And so now I'm 100% a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, you know, controlling, perfectionist. I'm constantly, I'm constantly feeling like I have to be doing something better. That sounds like symptoms of, like, ADHD. Oh, it is. Oh, I'm. So you have it? Oh, terrible. Okay. So talk to me about that. And I, I don't want to stray away from what you were just talking about. But that that's interesting that you say that because you picked that up along the way. I know you said you were good at school and you were good at learning. But like, where did you think you picked up those, those attributes of ADHD? So I really didn't even realize that I had ADHD until I was older. Right. I mean, really until I was in the psych program, actually. Right. Um. I was not good in school. Like, you don't think and, so? No, well, I mean, when I got older, yes. But mm. like in high school, I dropped out. Yeah. Well, your situation. But even before then, I think that like I struggled with things. So I just would avoid, like I would just like skip school all the time and just like play it off. Right. Like I was just going to be like a cool kid and I just didn't care. But I think really like I had such a hard time processing it. So with nursing school, what I figured out in nursing school is that if I write things down, I can retain them. Right. And so I would make hundreds of note cards. Right. And I would be able to remember things. Um, And also, like, if it's something that I'm passionate about, I can do it. Right. So, you know, really, ADHD is people think it's your inability to be attentive when in reality that is untrue. Right. It's like an I'm over attentive to things that I f- hyper fixate on, basically. So when you think you find an interest in something yes. and, you, and you have a general passion for it, you're going to like anybody. You'll I mean, excel. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you'll exactly. excel in it. So but the problem is that in doing that is that other things get put to the back burner. Right. And so basically, yes. So I did excel. I mean, I like got voted like top senior like they voted for me to speak at our pinning ceremony whenever I graduated from nursing school um and I mean I did that with being a single parent with two kids so and that's very impressive especially from dropping you dropped out of school yes with two kids by the time you were 19 were able to go to nursing school figured it out figured out what you like got passionate about it and there's where you stood at your pinning that is incredible and you don't and you downplay it well i mean i i don't like i'm very humbled by like i'm like i am very proud of it and i know logically like i shouldn't feel this way right but i'm just being honest that like this imposture syndrome is like a real thing yeah i mean i'll think you know like when i 
Like, I got voted for, like, preceptor of the year by union. And I swear they called me, and I was, like, thinking, are you sure? Like, are <laughs> you, you didn't sure? even believe me. <laughs> are you sure you're calling the right person? Right. Um, but I think that, honestly, I feel like it is that – I feel like being – like, I'm a huge people pleaser. That's mm-hmm. gotten a little bit better since I've been older. But, I mean, just all – like, with my kids even – like I'm a ter- I was always a terrible disciplinarian because mm-hmm. I wanted them to be happy. I did not want them to be unhappy. And so if that meant you're grounded, no, just kidding, you're really not grounded because I don't want you to be sad. Um, I don't want you to be mad at me. Yes, but I mean all that I think it feeds into childhood stuff, like needing that validation that I'm good enough. And even when you were doing something right, like disciplining them for something they probably needed it for, you still felt did you think you felt guilty about it? Absolutely. And that's okay. So what did that have you been able to maintain that just a little bit better? Like I mean Yeah, because not, I, I, mean, got re, I got remarried. Well, because it moves over, you know. It well, moves over to something else. If you're not doing it with your kids, you're doing it with something else in life, right? So I mean, basically, I mean, I will admit, like I am have never been a good disciplinarian. I am mm-hmm. very inconsistent. And it's all about the guilt. Right. Like, I, it would just tear me up, mm-hmm. like, for them to be sad. Without something. Yes. Yeah. So then I got remarried, and my husband, David, he is, like, complete opposite. I mean, he is, like, very rigid, very, you know, very disciplinary. Oh, he'll like, hold the hammer down. And he does not care. He's not. He, they could, if they are grounded and they're going to miss the prom, oh, well. They're just going to miss it. That's what it is, though. Exactly. That's what it used to be when we were kids. I, it's crazy that we sit here and talk about this because people now are talking about how we shouldn't even spank kids anymore. I got beat when I was a kid, but I deserved it. I'm not downplaying what I, I'm not saying that my parents did anything bad. I deserve. I mean, I grew up with old grandmothers who would hit you with anything they can get their hands Same. on. And I think I turned out OK, Same. you know, but look at these kids who get there's there has to be a fine line. And I was just talking about this with Brittany the other day. When we were talking about the podcast, and this was, it was going to be a discussion, but we weren't going to get into it on that one because it just wasn't one of those. I, I felt like it was better a discussion with you. Um, when you, when you, be, when you grow up and you don't have much, and yet you become something, and your kids come along and they don't go through what we went through, and then you give them everything. Does do they feel, do you ever feel like that? It's like, it's, there's a difference between people who don't have much and then do, because now I've seen people grow up in my life where I didn't have much and they had everything. I turn around and look and they're like in jail and they're white beaters and you know, they're committing crimes and they literally came from the amazing, the most amazing upbringing that anybody else could have asked for. Yet they squandered their life because they were given everything. And that is what I was always feared about. It's like, you know, I give my kids everything. I spoil them, yes. But, like, am I damaging them by doing such things? I mean, I think we don't take it for granted because we know what it's like. Right. When you've been poor and you've struggled as a child and as an adult, Mm. like, you don't take it for granted. I feel like people that kind of have a silver spoon so to say growing yeah. up like they don't know like they don't know what it's like to struggle right. like they don't know that side of suffering mm-hmm. and so when you know the coin flips and you do get to a place if you get to a place where you have more financial stability mm-hmm. then like 
you're grateful for it, like, like, because you know what it's like. I mean, and not only that, but you've worked your ass off to get there. It's not yeah. like anybody gave it to you. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I came from, you know, my, I came, my mom, like, I don't remember her spanking me that much, but my dad used to beat my ass, mm-hmm. like, with a belt. And I don't even think that I had to get spanked that many times because I was just afraid. Yeah. And so, I mean, I agree with you, like, with, you know, kids now, like, they just do not have respect. Like, I see kids talking to their parents, and I'm thinking myself. It's wild to me. If I talk to my parents, either one of my, if I talk to anybody like that, I mean, I would just be, like, I would not have any teeth left. How is it that kids are more scared of school teachers than they are of their parents? I have seen some people's kids be so disrespectful. I if I would have said how, if I would have huffed the wrong way and went to my room and that door was just a little loud when I slammed it, boy, they came right in, right behind that door. Like yes. it was a whole different well, world I'm living in. And so, like, I'm kind of conflicted about that because, like, I get it. I mean, you know, like corporal punishment. I mean, that I get it that inflicting pain and, you know, physical thing. Like, there's a line between physical abuse. Like, where is the line, really? Yeah. I guess. But also, I feel like. I mean, I have always had respect for people. Mm-hmm. Like I have, ne- like I would never be disrespectful to, like, adults. Even whenever I was a bratty teenager, like, I, like I would backtalk my mom like some, but I knew whenever it got to the point that I better shut up. But you, I mean, as oh, far as like, yeah, you knew when the energy yes, shifted. <laughs> like as far as like cussing them or anything like that, I would never have fathomed. And I mean, I'll even say. Like, my kids went through stages where, you know, they would talk back and stuff. But even my kids, I mean, obviously, I disciplined them well enough that they would never, they would never cuss me or, right. like, anything like Not, that. Not, like, curse you out. Like, they would talk no. to a friend or something. That is no. wild to me. I have never in my life. I Even at even at 35, like, I, I give my mom a hard time. I joke around with her a lot. She has a great sense of humor. So does my dad. And we're a really jokey, jokey family. And and it's funny because we joke now, even though we're playing, we know where that line is to, to not get it to where it's a serious thing. But back in the day, like you just knew, like, I better stop now before it gets really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And that line isn't here anymore because all they got to say is. They just got to talk to the right person. They got it, and then recording you yelling at them. Like I used to get yelled at when I didn't know how to multiply something doing homework, and that—that's nothing. I don't see any. I mean, look, that was their way, and it is what it is. But like we grew from a different era, but our era is a lot better. I'll admit that now, because there's a lot of very I, and see, and and I don't know if I'm being hypocritical because I don't want kids to be afraid to go to their parents in fear of getting in trouble. But you can't just be overly sensitive either, you but know? I feel like, I mean, I feel like you can have both. Yeah, I mean, it's balanced. Like, right, I feel like you can develop a relationship with your kids where they would be comfortable coming to you. But also, you're going to have to instill some, you know, like who is the parent and yeah. who is the kid. Like the role. Like yes. you got to... Like this whole gentle parenting. Oh my like God! It, I was just about to ask it, you that. It, it, I don't think oh, it, I do man. not think it's working. It no, because I look. Oh God! I want to say something so bad. I have personally seen it. I don't like it. It's ineffective, and it's making them worse. And 
what do you do when you have to take a back seat and watch it? Well, there's no boundaries. I mean, the kids don't like there's no role. Like it's not like parent child. It's yeah. like the, the child is like in charge. Yeah, like friend, friend. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be like your friend. driving the relationship mm-hmm. and it's all fine and dandy until you don't give them what they want. Yeah. And they wonder why like the older generation gives so much crap to the other parents. Like they'll have a parent who who. You know, you'll have somebody like a grandparent and their daughter is doing gentle parenting. They're like, why don't you do something about that? He just broke something. Like, go handle it. Go show him that it's not right. There's nothing wrong with you disciplining them when they do something wrong. Well, no, I think talking will be better. I'm sorry. There's conversations when they're needed and then there's discipline when there's needed. There's a separation. Mm-hmm. And you, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. What? Well, yeah, they knew they shouldn't do that. They did it anyway. So what but are you going to do about right. it? Right, and I mean, ultimately, it's like, I mean, kids like we teach them. Yeah, like, we're responsible for teaching them how, you know, appropriate ways to engage with people, how yeah. to act, you know, being um, responsible, mm-hmm. being respectful. Respectful. So if you don't teach them that, then they're going to grow up with this sense of entitlement yeah. that. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And guess what? They're just going to end up dead or in jail. And and it's cra- exactly. And here's the thing. If they do that in front of their parents, what do you think they're going to do to strangers? They're going to cross a stranger or mouth off to a stranger that is not going to put up with it. And you don't know what kind of day anyone's having. You could cross the wrong person on the wrong day and you just walk and you just think that nobody's going to do anything to you. And they're just going to get you. And it just be the end of it. And you can't do nothing about it because... It's because of you. That's why I teach my kids at all points. My kid, anybody who knows my kids will tell you, my kids, my son, uh, Jude, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Don't matter who it is. I don't care if they're mean to you, say it to them because you will always show respect to them. Noah is a whole different story because he's medically fragile. But Presley is seven, and she will tell you, like, she, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. It's that's just how what, I was. That's yeah. what you had to that's do. That's how you, I mean, that's how, and my, and I will say that, all of our kids, they are very respectful Yeah, in the same way. So, I mean, I think sometimes the only thing that I'll kind of input here to mm. all this is that because I've seen videos of, you know, where kids have like recorded like other kids, you know, cussing the teacher out yeah. and stuff. So the only thing that I'll say is that because... When you're watching these videos, I mean, you don't really... Number one, we don't know where these kids came from. Right. And I mean, sometimes whenever you have kids, like in the foster system, you know, kids that have had extensive abuse, neglect, like they they learn to compensate. So these rages they have, these, you know, oppositional, defiant, all this stuff, like they've had to learn a way to compensate Mm -hmm. to... In order to protect themselves. Right. And so I'm not saying it's right at all. I'm just saying that you're seeing this one little snippet. Yeah. And you have no idea what this kid has been through. Yeah. You don't realize that they're combative for a reason. Exactly. It it is one of those things that it's like I was telling somebody the other day, like there's people like I'll say relationships like me, myself, I won't argue. I, I just don't argue. I don't have the energy and I just don't feel like. An argument is going to get you anywhere. Mm-mm. I think if you can't talk about it normally, then just don't talk. I mean, just talk about it when you can be, you know, calm and collective about it. But you have people who are so combative because that's all they know. They're prepared to argue with you. So they can argue with you every single day. That's because they're, they're like they're built that way. They, mm-hmm. That's all they knew. 
So it's kind of like if someone was in a relationship for three years and all they knew was arguing, 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 when they come to you and if you try to argue, they're ready for you. It don't matter what time of day it is. Um, and so it's just like what, like you said, just what, what they've been through. Same thing with kids. You don't know what happened that morning. Mm-hmm. That could have been something that may be traumatic or they had a bad day or maybe they're dealing with some kind of temperament issue. You don't know if there's anything wrong with them. Like you're just seeing this snippet and you got people just like, oh, I would do this and I would do that. But you don't know, you yeah. know. And I mean, I will say that coming that I am somebody that can be very reactive. Right. That is something that I have recognized and that I'm working on. Right. Like basically for me, like if I feel like I'm wronged, then like I'm not reactive like as far as being like aggressive at all. But it will eat at me until like I I will have to sit down with that person and like let's just get it out. Like let's talk about it like as far as just being passive and like let no i am not that like you're like we're gonna talk about it i'm gonna send you an email like i'm gonna have to get it out and so i've found obviously whenever you're very reactive when you're upset like that's not a good time that's not a good time to you know to sit down and talk about it like you definitely need to like give yourself a good 24 hours Mm -hmm. before you like follow up with that so i will say and and being reactive is part of being adhd um are you you like an impulsive reaction yes okay and Um, so do you think that is that with anybody or just like family friends oh that's with well i won't say i won't say anybody i mean i'll just say more like professionally like Mm. within like my people that I work with circle okay yes empo- employers employees like that kind of thing like it and I mean not just like anything like not just any little situation but if it's something pretty major yeah. that I feel like has that I feel like is really whatever uh obviously caused me to be feel like I've been wronged in some way right um or not necessarily just that but if somebody else feels like I've wronged them in some way and I'm and I'm feeling like defensive about it. Like mm-hmm. it will just eat at me. Right. Until we hash it out. And like that's one big thing about like as far as my clinic, um, like I really try to promote a positive environment for people. Right. Cause I mean, first of all, this is a hard field to work in and the last thing that you want to do is to work in an environment. Ugh. Or you're and hostile passive, exactly. Mm-hmm. So like I just tell people like we're not going to do that. Like yeah. if like I have a one hundred percent like open door policy. Like if I've done something or if you're upset, let's just talk about it. Like let's not have tension in the uh, air. Nothing's worse than going to work and just being awkward. I hate be- I hate being so uncomfortable. Things make me so uncomfortable sometimes, and it's just get it out. Yeah. Let's just get it out and talk about it. And like, I cannot stand. Sometimes like people that. don't want to be on that level with you, though. You know, they don't want to talk about it. I mean, they if they're wrong, they won't talk about it. Anybody who's right will talk about it. You know, so if you're more willing to say, "Hey, let's sit down and talk about it," chances are you're probably right. And sometimes, you know, too. I mean, like, I'll immediately think. Then I'm in the right because, you know, that's how we're generally. <laughs> it's like type A personality. But then, like, I really do try to make a conscious, like, choice to put myself on the other side. Because if you do that, I promise sometimes you'll be like, well. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I can see it from their standpoint. And, and David, my husband, he's also pretty good at saying, like, telling me, well, 
you know, basically, you're not right. You know, oh, he's like a reality check. Yes, nice. like he's. Oh yeah, he's very <laughs> on it. And and I mean, I need that sometimes because I mean, we're just kind of you know we're kind of wired to be defensive and to feel like like we're right. Right. I mean, and so definitely, number one, I have made an effort to not be reactive nice. and make myself take at least twenty four hours before I respond to a situation that I'm upset about. Right. Um. And also to make a conscious effort to put myself on the other side and make sure that, you know, that I'm being fair because it's easy to not be. Yeah. Sometimes people don't like setting themselves down and saying, you know what, I probably, and I've, I mean, I think I've done that a few times where I'm like, okay, you know what, at the moment I felt super, super right. But when you really sit down and think about things, you're kind of like, Probably wasn't a good way of handling that. And I probably should have done better. And it's always when you calm down. It's cause, because you get when you react out of emotion, that's what they are. You, you just oh, become yeah. emotional. And so, of course, of course, the first thing you do when you're emotional is you get defensive if you're being attacked, you know. And so, exactly. and so you, you tend to, to do things out of the norm. I try my best. I try my absolute best. I think one of my best friends, Brittany, um, that I was telling you about, she's seen me get upset twice since she's known me i'm talking about like my voice was raised and everything like and that's just not me it's not in my character i don't like getting upset loud i don't like getting upset because it's just i don't like being uncomfortable with people because it it eats at me but not enough for me to say okay is this person disturbing my peace because if i'm uncomfortable about this maybe i'm wrong about something and i've and i'll double back and chances are it's a 50 50 thing and you know and that's okay i can accept when i'm wrong and i can i can handle that um so what I want to do is I want to conclude this podcast because, <clears throat> but not before I tell you that if you enjoy these kind of conversations and you enjoy these topics, it's a really great thing that you're going, that you know, that you do because, you know, Anna's starting her podcast and I'm so happy to like announce it here because this has been almost an hour and it feels like I can do this all the time. I just love these topics. They're great. And, um, they, they're really informative. Even just talking to you is just listening to certain things that I have told you about myself that I probably wouldn't have told anybody else if I wasn't in front of a microphone. But sometimes you just feel comfortable. I mean, if this is how your patients feel, then God send like you're doing something great. Because uh, I would never have told my parents that, you know, and they were there with me. And they I don't even think they even know. So I just never would have said anything. And so you do feel comfortable to kind of speak and kind of open up yourself to possibilities of advice that could help you progress in life. Um so your podcast is going to be uh, the Mind Matters podcast, Conversations with Anna. What are you looking to accomplish with that podcast? So basically, just being able to, you know, I do feel like God has blessed me with this, you know, with basically, I feel like I just have this knowledge and I'm very passionate about helping people. Um, and so I want to be able to like bring this to a wider audience yeah like you know and this seems like a good way to do it and i mean i i just very frequently like friends um you know family members people message me on facebook like hey can i ask you this yeah hey what do you think about this yeah like, and i wondered if therapists actually went through that on a daily basis when they become friendly with you do they approach you for advice only because of your profession that they trust you yeah oh absolutely right. yes um, and I mean, and I have, you know, I have to have some boundaries, obviously, yeah, of because otherwise, I mean, it can get to a situation where number one, 
I mean, from a liability standpoint, you don't want to be giving people advice that aren't your patients. Ex- you know, exactly. not you know to an extent. Right. Um. You give them general right. what you would just okay. But the purpose of all means me saying all that is that it it is so prevalent in everybody's life, and I mean not just mental health. I mean just dealing with day to day struggles where you you know just feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Um. And so I think just kind of acting as a sounding board and like sharing um, my knowledge and, you know, Lord, I mean, I am, I am not necessarily an expert. Uh, I mean, I'm very knowledgeable, but I'm also like mental health, like is so broad. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like we talked about, like some of the topics I posted on Facebook yeah, and I was like, Hey, like, what are some things that you guys would like to like, to hear on a podcast and I mean yeah. I got like 40 something responses like there's so much I mean it could just go on and on yeah. but basically like thinking about just kind of like a starting point mm-hmm. like the the trauma I think is huge yeah um and I mean learning this being a clinician as I get into things with my patients I mean some people like don't even realize it right. you know like we'll get into because I mean talking about like you know, what was your upbringing like? Like, you know, how are, how's your relationship now? What are things like at home? Like, and they don't necessarily correlate that to what's going on. Right. So just kind of talking about trauma, um, especially childhood trauma and how that affects us as adults and what we can do about it. Um, also ADHD, I think my personal, I really wanted to get into that topic, but I, I just knew I had so many questions oh, about that. Yeah, oh, we could. Look. Oh my God. We're going to, we are going to dedicate an episode to ADHD and I will, and there is clips I do. I actually, when we were talking about it earlier, um, there is clips that I'm pulling for that episode specifically because that itself deserve, deserves an hour because I just know, I, I just have so many questions about it. And I think that generally I think it's, it's, it's you know, about this topic as much as anybody else who's just as curious about it. And I think that that is important. I think ADHD, I mean, ADD is important. I think, you know, autism is, all this stuff kind of correlates together, I think. Oh, absolutely. And ADHD, like there is so much <clears throat> misinformation yeah. about what it is. Correct. And I mean, this is like 100% like personal lived experience of like how much it has impacted me. And like I talked about, I think a lot of like my imposter syndrome and like you, you know, basically if you, as a kid, if your teachers, whether it's because you were hyperactive, you got in trouble all the time or inattentive and you mm. made bad grades. I mean, you internalize that and you think that you're dumb mm-hmm. because that's what you're told. Like you don't. You were told I, that you were too hyper. You wouldn't exactly. sit still. And realistically, and so, you had this. Exactly. And you have like, you know, it's obviously it's more diagnosed today but i mean back then i mean i don't even remember it was like the 1990s before they even recognized that women could have it like it used to only be in boys boys yeah because they used to say oh my god he's so hyper he's so active listen it is so complex i mean it is just like and like the older i get the worse it gets Mm -hmm. and a lot of that i've learned is like hormonal issues play a huge role in it and oh i cannot um, wait that yes. is going to be one of my and favorite I think I, episodes like, i'm doing this training right now to be like an adhd certified practitioner which just means that i have like additional training mm-hmm. but part of the reason is just because i'm so passionate about it because it is just so it's 
misdiagnosed so much and people like I mean how do you I mean you just you don't even realize that there's anything wrong with you when I diagnose people they're like I mean I've had people cry Mm -hmm. because they're just like it makes sense yes you know so there it's like a relief you know they're like unfortunately there's no cure for it I mean even the medicines that we have you know they can help the symptoms be a little better but ultimately you've got to learn to live with it yeah so it's a lot of yeah. lifestyle modification it's maneuvering through yes. it on a daily basis but and once it, and, you, you know, realize that you have it it's easier yes it's it's more of an acceptance thing and then when you realize it i think once you once you're able to kind of figure it out i think it's easier to navigate through life and say okay i know i got this and this makes sense to me now so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna go this way instead yes. of what i would have normally went was that way and so i think it's a, it's a big topic and that in itself deserves the hour or more. I don't even care. I just want to get as much out of that topic as I can because I have so many questions about it. And how do you live with ADHD in a distracted world? I know we it's not in? weird. It's just like it's I like mean, it's like sonically everything's around is a distraction. I mean, you know? Exactly. Social it's, media. It takes everything. a lot of being intentional. I can tell you that much. Well, I tell you what, this Mind Matters podcast is going to be so good. Conversations with Anna. It's going to be. I mean, the generalization of everything that we're going to talk about is going to be so good. I'm so excited about it. Um, when it was brought up, I was I was just over the head, you know, heels about it because your interview with me on my podcast a few years ago is one of the top three that's been the most listened to. And it's one of my favorites. And it's because it was so informative. I loved all the guests that I had on there. And I don't want that to be misconstrued. But like yours was the one I, I really prepped for. And I was like, I looked, you know, I had it written in my phone and I remember my, me and my brother were doing it. And it's just, the whole thing is just so interesting to me. And like every answer you gave was such a great one. So um, we're going to look forward to that. I really appreciate you coming in and I really appreciate y'all listening. And this is the Let's Discuss It podcast.